Ladies and gentlemen, the Schaefer Shakedown. No planning has gone into this. Uh, <laughs> Joe, um, I okay, so welcome to the Schaefer Shakedown. Welcome back. I uh I'm very excited to introduce a special guest this week, but he's he's actually been on the podcast every episode, every single episode. It is Joe Randazzo, everybody. He is uh the guy who does his only credit is that he does the intros for the Schaefer Shakedown. Yeah. Um, That's going to so, get me into the, the voiceover union. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> voiceover union. <laughs> and one of the most powerful unions. Yeah. And I do plan on collecting royalties. Okay, great. I've got my lawyers. My team is on that. Um, they'll be reaching out. You got but... a team? <laughs> no, but for real. Joe is um, one of the funniest writers I know. And he's written for a million things, including At Midnight, um, The History of Swear Words, where he was my boss. He's been my boss several times, so I'm kind of kissing his <laughs> ass right now. But Joe is, and he has an amazing podcast that's new. Uh, it's really funny. Please, please listen to it. It's the doc- Dr. Reese Sex Show. Is that the complete Dr. name? Dr. Sex Reese. Yeah, Dr. Sex Reese Show. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How how are you doing? How is your uh, life right now? My life. Answer that as good. dishonestly as you want. <laughs> well, I mean, just today, I I um, you know, I'm 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 in the, I'm going through a divorce. Going through. Going <laughs> right. Through get right into it. I love it. That's what. <laughs> that's how we are here. <laughs> I'm not quite divorced yet. It takes so much longer than you think it's going to take. And even yeah. though we are, we get along great, and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not an acrimonious, toxic divorce. Yeah. It still, it's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, but I have the kids. We split. We split our custody of the kids. Mm-hmm. So I just got rid of them, <laughs> <laughs> and I spent the morning cleaning. And I mean, sw- you know, hardcore hot water swiffering, where I put the hot water in there. You know, Ooh. Um, put a little bit of like. Um, spray mixed mixed in there to give the, the floors a nice scent scrubbing the toilets yeah. i pulled the coffee machine out wiped underneath the coffee machine the coffee machine and this is an espresso machine a breville all right uh-huh, i'm talking about uh-huh. mr coffee cleaned all behind it like i did a wow you went deep full clean this morning and that feels great yeah so i feel right now in this moment very good good now we talked about cleaning on the last episode a little bit, but you have now, you know, the show, we're all about aunts and uncles yeah, mm-hmm. and the auntie core and uncle core lifestyle. But you, however, you have three kids, three of them and a and, dog. And I want to know, <laughs> and a fucking dog. Um, now my brother has three kids and I, and I was, I grew up with four, like I was, I had three siblings. So my parents had four kids. And that was, you know, as time goes on. I don't know if you on, can hear the face I'm making, but. <laughs> it was a lot. And, and four is like, back then it was more normal, but it was like a lot. And now yeah. having three is like, what are you thinking? Yeah, three is like, insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I grew up with 
a mother, an Irish Catholic mother, and an Italian Catholic father, but for the purposes of the cleaning and the auntie corps, mm. Irish Catholic mother with a family of raging alcoholics, seven of ah. them on her mm-hmm. side, but she did not drink. So she cleaned ah. instead. Yes. She cleaned yes. and cross-stitched and, and did everything. I continue to marvel. Oh, I love that she cross-stitched. I'd love to see some yeah, of her work. A lot of cross-stitch. Um, those are now, both endeavors yeah. that engage your visual attention and are very distracting from your immediate environment. So <laughs> kudos. Those are both good choices. I mean, when we would all get together and she had, you know, five sisters and, and two, three brothers, four sisters, I don't remember. Uh, there would come a point at any family get-together where like one, no matter whose house we're at, one of the sisters would just start like, you know, maybe when it's time to do dishes, they would start like, <laughs> wiping down counters yeah. and then somebody else would put the gloves on. <laughs> they went into like they, a, like a, a, like a Voltron. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and the last quarter of the night would be them cleaning well yeah. beyond whatever damage was done from the hanging out, like deep cleaning as a social bonding exercise. So yeah. it was kind of built into me, but I don't have a, it's hard for me to moderate. It's hard for me to just like straighten up Mm. I feel I have to go deep. Like I have to really start cleaning. So a lot of times as a result, things are just messy. Well, and you have three kids, which is why I brought that up. Like when they leave your house, what is the, the, the destruction they've left behind? What is the most shocking thing that you can't, you couldn't believe how dirty. It's just the general, it's just the general lack of respect (laughs) for human living. (laughs) <laughs> everything is wet everything is always wet. yeah two, like i had to get i have you know i love i love my cast iron pan i have mm. the scraper for my cast iron pan i had to use that scraper in their bathroom to get <laughs> the, the, the toothpaste off the skin and that's not the worst thing that is in the bath i mean there's poop <laughs> everywhere <laughs> and my my thing i actually uh you know it was it was a difficult choice to decide not to have kids like it wasn't something i was always like i'm definitely not having kids and when we got on the other side of that long difficult phase of deciding i started to focus in on the reasons why i'm glad i i'm not Uh, And one of them for me, and I remember thinking this when my siblings started having kids, one of them for me was the mess, not clutter, because I'm a, I can be very cluttered, but the dirt, the, the crumbs, and on top of everything else, stickiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Things being sticky. All the time. They, you know, there's, I move, I had to move my TV from the living room into my bedroom so that the living room could feel like a, a place to live and not <laughs> a place to fight over <laughs> on the black screen. But now they're just in my room all the time. <laughs> they just moved the war. They moved the battlefront. That's and exactly I what I remote. thought. Oh, no. I hide the remotes so that they can't have access to my TV. And like the other day, I hid them so well that I could not find the remotes. Oh, no, there's <laughs> yeah. an app for that. Can, I could turn it's... my TV on, but then it was stuck on 52 volume. I couldn't <laughs> do anything about it. So I just turned it off. I was like, fuck it. I won't relax today. <laughs> and, but they get crumbs in my bed. Oh, 
that no. is that is what sends me into like a, almost classic dad rage yeah is when i'm rolling over i'm finally off to slumber and i like roll onto a bunch <laughs> of old bagel crumbs <laughs> because they didn't listen you know that that reminds me when i was growing up you know my mom it would be something like that that would send her into the most psychotic like rage that i've ever seen her in was when like one time she was cleaning up you know it was always the fight was always cleaning in my house you know get get it together kids we gotta clean up because it's just so chaotic and and one time she found like she was cleaning and she lifted up which i imagine for most it's this is a horror show for a normal adult a, a generally clean adult but for someone with kids she lifted up a, a couch cushion <laughs> and there was probably 200 candy wrappers like of little like Reese's pieces uh Reese's cups and Hershey yeah. kisses just shoved in there and I've never she I'll never forget I was probably 10 she went so crazy <laughs> I've had it yeah. she does like <laughs> this is what I feel like 80 percent of the time because because it's not it's like you have to lower your standards so many times as a parent (laughs) Mm -hmm. and lower your basic fundamental baseline to be like a human like yeah you have to look to the point where you have one place you can go to the toilet and you can go to your bed to feel like some sense (laughs) of privacy and comfort yeah so when though when you roll over and feel those crumbs in your bed (laughs) or you've told your kids 700 times like just throw away the wrappers and then you find 90 of them under a cushion it's like you can't even meet the most (laughs) threshold like (laughs) that is when you are like when everything every devil on my shoulder is screaming in my ear like you must kill them they They don't respect you. They won't listen to you. They're never going to change. It does though because that was us. We can't, we can't yeah. deny. I mean, as Sarah just demonstrated, you were 10 years old. No way some of those Reese's pieces, peanut butter cup wrappers. And I know the ones, the like black wax paper ones that still have yeah. both chocolate and peanut oh, butter yeah, on them. Yeah. Like there's <laughs> no way that some of those weren't yours. Like, oh, no way, no way. And as a childless, like only child, I think back as who always puts her towel on the rack now, I remember the like middle school <laughs> me that would just like aggressively drop it with like yeah. fully knowing it's like no because i'm just gonna get it wet again like i'm just gonna yeah. put it on the yeah. floor because like well, what's the difference other things on your mind on your insane mind yeah you're well, that's what ill that's why was, little mind it's very boring to try to keep a tidy home it's very very boring and it yeah. does feel like i can sometimes because i'm a five-year-old a seven-year-old and a 13-year-old Oh, so you have somebody in your house either smells like vanilla cookies or Axe body spray. (laughs) 13 years old smells aggressively smells like milk and cookies lotion or uh, like something with a dragon on the bottle. How about zero body spray? Like all natural. The other day (laughs) I was like, I was like, you smell like curry. Like he just was giving off. The spices of Asia. His his natural smell. No, no, no. This is like this is very good right now because it was acceptable. Well, that's what 
I when I when I'm around a kid that is just filth uh, all over them, I I I think how can they tolerate that but they just don't feel it the way you would as an adult for some reason and like yeah. i also get like flashbacks like triggering flashbacks to um when i was in high school you know my family had just been through this hellish experience of our whole lives turned upside down we'd been knocked down a few rungs on the class ladder and uh, my parents were making men's ends meet as best they could. And one of the ways they made ends meet is my dad got a job at our church being a janitor. And my, but he also had a full-time job that was pretty demanding. And my mom had a full-time job. And so we decided to do it as a family at night. And it was rough. I mean, like, you know, and I'm in high school, I've got a million extracurriculars. I'm like a goody two shoes. And so we're going up to church and everyone's so fucking tired. We're either doing it at night or we're doing it like right after, like around the 5 PM. And we were like a Voltron where we were like, okay, we have to work together so we can do this as quickly as possible. And then we can have dinner. <laughs> and <laughs> And one of the main jobs that we had to do was cleaning a preschool. And I swear to God, it traumatized me where now if I smell, there's a combination smell, which is urine, apple juice, and graham crackers, that that smell all together <laughs> makes me physically repulsed and ill. And I remember, th I remember at that time going, I hate children. And <laughs> not really putting it together that years later, I would look back and go, thank God I'm child free. Because <laughs> that would be 20 years of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I would, by the way, I would kill to have that smell in my house. Compared <laughs> <laughs> to what you have. It doesn't smell that bad. It's more yeah. like, just, just I'm, I'm, it's really just everything being wet all the time. Yeah. Wet. And not knowing what the wetness not is. Knowing. <laughs> not knowing is what kills you. And then three of them, just three of them. Three clueless yeah. individuals. Oh, and they're very sweet. Oh, I love them so much and they're hilarious. Yeah. But it also, I mean, you know, like it, it does make you, it puts all of, of your own neuroses, anxieties, and, you know, issues just right in your face all the time like i didn't realize how you know and every, and everything is a different degree of, of control be, of, of, of having to have control right like yeah if my house just feels cluttered after i've cleaned up i'm like oh god i have to clean like mm -hmm. it's it's insane <laughs> you know yeah like, i get I step back i'm like i don't i can't control what's happening while i'm here so why am i even why is it so important to me if that book is not on the shelf you know mm -hmm. what i mean well there's a sense of completion where it's like okay everything is done because i'm like if it we talked about this last week of like if you're gonna do the dishes do all of the dishes don't leave a pot soaking clean the countertops you know but then i think back where i used to make fun of my dad <laughs> because he would be and he listens to this podcast. So dad, just know we were teenagers. I love you so much. Um, but we used to make fun of you because you do the dishes, but then for some reason the dishes would be done and you'd still be in there for an hour afterwards, like 
the smell of bleach you know like what is he bleaching like what what is he cleaning this long after the dishes are done where it's like you've gone too far i feel like i always leave one little piece yeah undone in almost everything in my life probably and maybe this is a breakthrough i'm having right now mm-hmm. but i always leave one dish one pot that's like i don't let that soak i don't let that soak for a while and then it's like <laughs> two more cycles of dishes <laughs> still in there and i'm like oh, we literally part of my life now that this is there and there's nothing i can do it like doesn't it's like i don't i never got past the fact that i'm letting it soak i don't i never i don't like finish it until a month later <laughs> um, my house that's called the last bite and the it's the last bite of the chore that you can't finish and giving it that just like saves the, oh, that was just the last bite of the chore. You know, it takes the sting out of walking into a kitchen because I do them and I find them. And it's like, oh, well, that was just, I'll take care of this last bite. Like, I'll just go ahead and eat putting this last pot or pan away because it's the last bite of the chore that nobody wants to finish the last little thing on the plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Joe, you know, you're a father, you're a writer, you're a podcaster. Mm. We like to talk a lot about extracurricular activities and hobbies on this podcast. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies? If so, what are they? How's it going? Well, I think when we, when we were first corresponding about this, uh, I mentioned to you that this is something that I have like almost personal shame about that I've (laughs) never been able to like stick with a hobby. Mm. And I've had all kinds of like, oh, I'm an Aries. That's what Aries do. We like, we're Aries. Like that doesn't have anything to do with it. But I have, you know, like there's things I love to do and that I'll go, like I love to hike and backpack. Yeah. Right. But I really only do it once, maybe twice a year. And sometimes yeah. there's multiple years between sessions. I love to fish. I have all the fishing equipment. I do that less than once a year. Yeah. You know, I have, I have these things that I've just, I've never, I really love drawing. I went and I got a bunch last year, a bunch of um, pencils and papers. And I was actually part of this thing that Brendan Walsh invited me Mm. to, which was like a monthly drawing. Mm -hmm. Like once a month, they would send out this, like, draw this. Mm. And everybody would draw it. And then they'd get put in this little PDF and we'd all get to see it and talk about it. But then the guy stopped doing it. And so I was like, oh, I guess that means I'm never going to draw again. The, <laughs> the man, I don't know, stopped sending out an email with a word suggestion. Yeah. So I, and I felt like my whole life, I've kind of struggled to find that hobby that I just stick with. And I'm always so jealous of people who are like really into ink or, <laughs> you know, or yeah. like... Whenever I hear like go rock climbing and they do it and they make it a priority, I'm like, you really, you stuck with it? You know, like, yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I relate to it that a little bit um, in that I will go through phases of something and then get bored with it. But I usually come back to it and I'm, I, as I get older, I get more intensely, uh, I, I don't let something go. I want to start mastering it over time. Even if I take breaks from it, I go back to it. But I think it's interesting that because I I have other people in my life who have shame over not having a hobby. And <laughs> as someone with many hobbies, like too many, 
I I think that's interesting because I do think we're in like a, especially during the pandemic, probably I think people were like, oh, hobbies make you interesting. Look at how interesting everyone is. Look at the little yeah. thing that they do. And they're so good at it. Meanwhile, there's professionals who do it way better than any of us ever could. You know, that's why it's called a hobby. <laughs> but it's so impressive when a regular person starts taking up drawing or miniatures right. or, you know, whatever the thing is. And um, there shouldn't be any shame in that because you are enough, Joe. Yeah. You are enough. <laughs> I think I've just always seen it as this sort of like inability to do something if it's not going to be seen, like if it's not going to oh, impress yeah. someone else. Like, mm -hmm. and this is actually something that I've, that I've, been discussing with my therapist ah, yes. about the difference between you know intrinsic and extrinsic values like when you're doing and, th and this has been something that we kind of got at through you know I'm a, I'm a writer by profession but I also love to write I like mm -hmm. to write but it you know a year or two ago I was having so much trouble where anything no matter what the assignment would just torment me mm. like torturous to get I think we were on some of those shows together <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we definitely were where it would be like all I have to do you know like I a packet for instance you know writing yeah. packets for shows or or just stuff for myself and I couldn't do it I could not do it and so I started one day I just said all right I'm gonna write down before I start writing I'm just gonna write down every thought that's going through my head right now and it was like the most insane stuff, you know? <laughs> and in some ways writing it down, I was like, oh, I'm not like, I'm not a fool. Like I'm not an actual fool. Like I'm, I'm writing, I am a fool, you know? Yeah. Like I am bad at writing. Yeah. This is never gonna amount to anything. Mm. No one's, no one's, I'm, and then it would get to stuff of like, I'm going to die alone. Oh, you know? yeah. And stuff was like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with like writing <laughs> 10 jokes about Kardashians, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Ultimately. You know, my, my, my uh, therapist one time told me, cause I have like a, a obsessive, like rumination and, and anxious thinking. And she was like, it was like stuff like that, where she was like, you know, if it's really bad, write it down as if you're reporting on it and mm. write it down. And then I was like you, or I would write it down and look at it and go, this is insane. Yeah. Like you're not none of this is true look how crazy it looks on paper not to call myself crazy but to go i was believing these things yeah well because there's nowhere for it to go when it's yeah insane. yeah and it feels real when it's your thoughts yeah and you think your thoughts are coming from you you know but they're mm -hmm. mostly not but no. that sort of created this little bit of a breakthrough where then i opened up some space in my head to be able to write and the thing that you know he's been talking about a lot is you know just when you're doing things for the sense of mastery, the sense of satisfaction, the sense of enjoyment, you live a much fuller and yeah. better life. And I think right. probably, that's, you know, yeah. play a part in that. Um, but it, but but for writing, it has it has really helped because I have started enjoying writing with, mm -hmm. and I think too, being a professional writer, you know, where you're constantly competing for jobs and everything is you're trying to think of like how can this be marketed how can that be marketed mm -hmm. you get into this mindset where everything needs to kind of be commodified 
or yeah. or categorized and to be able to just write for the sake of writing is like almost like i'm wasting my fucking time <laughs> no but that's what i have to start doing and when since i've been able to do that it's made it's it's allowed me to get much more closely in touch with that like that old thing about writing that like childlike mm-hmm. experience of writing which i think you is know, helping my my job too you know not that yeah. i have a job right now but one thing that helped me was uh that helped me have a better relationship with writing was writing my book because it was so fucking awful and nothing compares to how how stressful that was um but i what that project taught me was how to force myself through the insane anxiety that comes with writing sometimes Mm -hmm. and write what people would call writer's block and all that stuff because i didn't have a choice like i i was like this has to be like sixty thousand words i've never written anything that long what the fuck like i and i came up with all these tricks like i had to like trick myself like or Mm -hmm. like okay you're gonna go to your favorite restaurant and just bring the laptop and just or i would just do things where it doesn't matter and so i'm it's helping me now with especially the self-starter writing that you have to do to get your dreams like writing a script you know things like not the for for paid hired work which i think you and i pedal in and can get very tedious over time but to write for yourself or to write for some higher purpose it's hard to do and i've writing my book helped me go oh remember when you weren't able to figure out how to write a book and then you did it and you're proud of how it turned out like use some of those tricks and so i've started to do that a little bit but yeah that's that's great that's really (laughs) good i mean i think one thing i would caution you against is much like um people who go through birth i think the body (laughs) does something where it makes you forget the pain (laughs) like i I yes it does years ago and i was like i remember i, I somehow forced myself to wake up every morning at like 5 a.m mm-hmm. right and this this seems so foreign to me now yeah but you know and i did the same thing where i figured out all these little tricks and stuff and now i have no fucking idea it's like someone else wrote that book i yeah have no relationship to it <laughs> but it was seven eight years ago eight years ago yeah. so so you have to write a gut-wrenching horribly personal book <laughs> To, to get through to the other side yeah every year sarah yeah every year that's um but no i think like what i would do to write the book is i and i would see you there all the time was go to go to the coffee shop and uh and go there in the morning and write and then i would and i honestly don't recommend this to most people because i think it isn't good it could lead to an eating disorder let's just don't do this <laughs> but i would be like you don't you get <laughs> you don't get food until you've written for at least 20 minutes uh, and i'd be like you don't get to have breakfast like that was the game i play and oh, that no. could be destructive if you have any sort of inkling towards um unhealthy relationship with food but it, it wasn't like I was going eight hours, you don't get to eat, you know, it was, but you right. gotta be careful giving food as a reward. But I did have to treat myself like a dog for a while. <laughs> <laughs> like I really did. Like you don't get to have the treat until you at least, because what I learned was 
it was just those tricks of getting started because starting the day writing get starting the writing was and still is the hardest thing and your brain is gonna do all kinds of tricks to yeah to keep tricking you out of your own tricks the one thing oh, yeah. that i have been able to stick with lately is someone mentioned something to me a while ago but the, the, the pomodoro method where you work oh, for yeah. minutes mm-hmm. and take five minutes off and i do that i use that with this little dumb app called yeah. forest yes i use forest too makes you these dumb little trees i know and you kill your tree if you check your email yeah <laughs> <laughs> but just being that of like okay i can do this for 20 minutes like mm-hmm. i can sit down even if i don't do any work i can sit down for 20 minutes yeah that because you're right it's that it's that first hurdle of like yep. just getting the brain to be like fine and then yep. you end up growing a whole forest it's really adorable yeah it does really work you, you're off normally some days um when i'm in the middle of a writing on a big project or working on something that has to be done 20 minutes is all it takes to break through and then i'm on my way and i'll i'll work more several hours or even some days like a crazy long day because i'm just vibing with it but then sometimes it is only 20 minutes that i'm able to do but then i don't feel like shit when i go to bed that night yep i go you know what you did something and it often opens up other yeah by doing that 20 minutes of creative work no matter what it is it like opens up other channels for me i'm like oh now i have an idea about this and i Mm -hmm. feel I, you kind of like release the, the pressure a little bit. And yeah, I think doing 20 minutes of work, even if that's all you can manage, is way better than doing none and mm-hmm. feeling like a fucking idiot. Not that anybody needs an excuse to procrastinate, but I've had, I have learned to give a little grace to the ebbs because flows come where you work those crazy long days and all of a sudden you can just write and write and write and they feel like magic, but you don't get there without like, the the work your brain has to do quietly without fingers moving that 100 rocks don't become gems with gems without a tumble like you need that tumble time where you take your little rocky ideas and your brain sharpens them up and then all of a sudden they just come like kaplumping out i think writing professionally is a totally different animal and that process of using 20 minutes just to wake up your creative voice and then get to work on the actual assignments is one thing to keep you disciplined and churning out lots of jokes for lots of people to laugh at, but for your own projects, mm-hmm. like the guilt of those times you're not putting pen to paper or finger to keyboard, you, you know, something's happening. Your idea is going through some kind of process and the, t- the key is catching the timing on the flow. Like yes. make sure I in that, that time you clear out the space, you give yourself, because it's only going to happen then. You just, you, you have to catch those times and respect the times you're not writing because something's happening. Don't be hard on yourself. Value yeah, that I, process. I love that tumble time. Yeah. Tumble, tumble time, time with Caitlin Gill. <laughs> when nothing happens. And yeah. you chew your fingers. The ideas but... come kerplumping out. That's kerplump. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I spent a week on this script means I wrote it in three hours, but it took seven days. Well, yeah. I, mean, you know, I can't write for seven hours in a day. If I'm yeah. on an absolute deadline and I have to do something, I, I will. But I think four to mm-hmm. five hours is the top, absolute yeah. max I could do of like actual writing. Sure. But Caitlin, I think you're really right. Like, especially I've been, I've had this, this, this script that I've sold that now is going to be in its third draft. 
but I had to really uh, credit myself and credit my subconscious and credit the process of like, just because I'm not typing X number of pages per day does not mean nothing is happening. Absolutely. But I tried to find an outlet even mm-hmm. if it was writing in my note in, in my journal, just like stupid ideas about something unrelated or going for a run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like while I'm on this run, I'm going to think about this one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Cleaning. <laughs> Cleaning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is, it does, it gets you. I was just listening um, on NPR. They were talking, and now I'm forgetting the. Of course we were listening to NPR. We <laughs> were just... listening to NPR. So NPR was on. Okay. And I was <laughs> listening to it and I wasn't, I was having my driveway moment where I wasn't going inside because I was listening oh, to the I rest of it. I love those driveway moments. Yeah. And they um, were talking about, I think they called it like upstate and downstate in your mind and like we put so much uh emphasis on sleep which is very important but sleep isn't the only uh element and so like you know uh getting up and exercising in the morning is more effective because it wakes up your brain and does makes you more creative and and uh awake during those times where you need to be up and focused or whatever and so like having an ebb and flow like you talked about is actually critical for anyone i think this whole like and Joe, you know, we've been in writers' rooms before, and you've been in a million, and I've been in a million. And um, one thing I find really an unproductive, the worst writing jobs I've had, uh, aside from personalities or toxic work environment and other craziness, just in terms of creativity and workflow, is when, and I've never worked on a scripted show, so I don't know how those necessarily work best. But I find that when you're in a writer's room where there's no break time to just go and chill or write on your own or whatever, and everyone is trying to write a script together eight hours a day is so oppressive. <laughs> like where I'm on most shows where I, where you work with good people, it is like, okay, everybody break, you know, go work on your own thing and then we'll come back and all punch it up together but like sitting there in a room and there's up on the screen and everyone's going okay and now type oh my god and like oh and the poor writer's assistant is the one that always has to bear that's (laughs) like i mean i do think it's like being asked to have sex in front of a group of people (laughs) all right ready now go yeah, that's really stressful. And I think for punching up and brainstorming, there is a time and a place for the group and all that. And that's great. But but I've worked on shows where it's like, no, we have to write the entire script together as a group right now. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do I, that. I will say that there have been times where a head writer or whoever it is running the room has forced the group to stay and finish something. Mm-hmm. Where I've been like, I'm glad we did that because yeah, my yeah. fight or flight is in mm-hmm. overdrive right now, and I just want to run away from this problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but figuring it, yeah, but sitting there and figuring because everybody has a different rhythm and a different pace and a different style. Yeah, and yeah, I think you got to go off. You need both. You need you need some group and some alone time because also too, it's like. It is. It's like sex, you know. Sometimes you gotta do it with the group. Sometimes you gotta do it alone. And you always, always need Lacroix and Veggie Grill. 
<laughs> Mendocino Farms. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think we, we've all, all three of Caitlin, you've been in writers' rooms as well, and I, I think the big conversation happening right now is should we go back to in person all the time forever as writers? And I don't know. <laughs> Depends I mean, on the I show. I I really like working from home. I really yeah. do. But it allows me to indulge habits that are not great. Mm-hmm. Like taking full-on naps in the middle of the day. <laughs> Which, if you're the Coen brothers, that's part of your process and you've made some of the best movies. That's okay. <laughs> they it's take from- that. Is that part of their process? That yeah, they every interview I've ever heard with them, they're always like, and then we took a nap and then we figured out the same thing. <laughs> Uh, I guess they're not even working together anymore, right? One of them. Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't know. But, but I will say it's. I think it's great. And in some ways, I think I actually like. I'm about to do. I'm about to do a bunch of pitches, mm. and I think I'm better on Zoom than I am in, in person. I think Zoom I, is is for for pitching. Zoom actually, there's something about it cuts a little bit of the awkwardness. A lot of and, the. And you also have your space around you. Like I've done better in interviews um, over Zoom because I've got like my miniatures behind me and I've got like, and people are like, oh, tell me. And you, you're you showing more of yourself in a way that's more authentic for some yeah. reason than being in person in this. Um, and people aren't, I, I don't know. Whenever I go in for a pitch, yeah. you're sitting and waiting, I have to pee. <laughs> I have to ask where the bathroom is. I have to go like three times <laughs> while I'm waiting. Somebody's asking if I want water. Do I want coffee? Oh, there are going to be a few more minutes. It's a, it's nerve wracking. And you're in this weird place where you're seeing other people coming and going. Yeah. There's no waiting in Zoom. It's like everybody also kind of has their Zoom shtick now, like a uh-huh. little bit of a Zoom personality. And it feels like you're still very direct and immediate, but you don't have that like, physical proximity that sort of makes everything more intense like well really last on zoom one of the worst pitches i mean not one of the worst pitch i ever had uh and i feel like zoom would have eliminated this a little bit it, although i don't think it it would have still been really bad um i won't say what network but uh i pitched a show and animal planet it was animal planet they didn't want a talk show that's by a, a female Dogs can't talk this is the last time <laughs> um and that would be adorable actually let's pitch it um so i'm pitching this show and i'm starting my spiel i've pitched it many times at this point so i'm a pro at it and this person uh she immediately immediately like within the first sentence and i have like a powerpoint and a whole thing and immediately within 15 seconds she's just on her phone texting furiously in person this is in person this is in person it's me my manager cara uh who's also your manager joe and um me, Cara, and no one else, and this one executive. Now, a lot of times when you pitch, it's more than one executive. So if one isn't fully paying attention, somebody is, and you know, someone's hearing the pitch. 
This woman was not hearing the pitch. She was completely, I mean, just not paying attention. And it was so fucking awkward. And Kara, thankfully, was there. Because I, I don't know if what I would have done if I was by myself. Kara just went, she like put her hand on my arm and she just went, I got this. <laughs> she goes, um, do you need to take a moment and step outside? And um, we just, you know, and she just went, oh, I'm sorry. I have some fires I got to put out. Hang on. So she leaves the room and leaves us in there for like a full 15 minutes. <laughs> Comes back. is like, sorry about that. And then like one little like, hang on, like still texting. <laughs> finally puts the phone down and lets me finish but at this point i am defeated i'm like and this is like one of the places that would have been the top place like you know would have been a life-changing if i had gotten something on this network and uh it was so dissolute and in the end she goes it's a very sweet sweet pitch like it's very Aww. sweet Aww. it was so condescending and i was just like bitch anyway i, I think she got fired like a year or two later so. they always do yeah, they <laughs> always do. Everybody's everybody's in fear for their lives at all moments yeah. in show business. It's great. Yeah, that is a I helpful mean, motivation to remember that yeah. nobody's out to get you. They're all fearful yeah. for themselves. Oh but yeah, that, she... that uh, that's equally destructive to you, but it isn't yeah. as like you know pointed. You don't have and to take it so personally. And if you can kind of try to put it in perspective, it's like like yeah, yeah you don't have to take it that personally it's like everybody and there i don't know i've also been really lucky i think i've gotten to work with mostly great people like Me my too, nightmare yeah. things are not that bad they're like bad dreams <laughs> they're, they're like you know yeah they are they're not horrible nightmares but yeah nobody fucking knows anything everybody's scared for their jobs they just have a lot more money consistently like so yeah more. they have a paycheck yeah so <laughs> much like actual money yeah so much money yeah. A lot of money. They're always going on vacation. They're always, <laughs> well, you know, we're, we have to prepare because we're off next week. So we have to take time off this week in preparation for the off time next week. Oh, and then the week after the week of being off, they're like, oh, we're just getting our heads on. Caught up. We're just getting caught up. Got to get through my inbox. Sorry. <laughs> oh, now it's spring break. Now it's July. Oh, yeah. Now it's, you know, now yeah. we're all, it's October 1st. The holidays have hit. <laughs> oh, there's that dumb fucking festival. What fucking festival is it? You know the one. I have to be at that dumb thing. So I can't do it. And I just got fired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the entire network has been dissolved. We right. loved you. But so the network doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but it's also great to be able to use that. Like, I have used that excuse. So oh, like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Everybody got assassinated at the network. Like, they all loved my pitch, but they all got killed in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was covid so you know covid <laughs> <laughs> nothing got done um i think writers rooms just to circle back i think writers rooms you're right i think there's a balance i think that like it would be great to have writers rooms more condensed you know maybe they're it depends on the show like a, a daily late night talk show i think has to be in person for the most part because it's so fast such a fast turnaround and being there in person makes i think for an easier flow yeah but for a week for something that is like there's a writing period and then there's a production period yeah the writing period i think can be and maybe you have a once a week in-person 
roundup meeting, you know, brainstorm sesh, whatever it is. But I remember pre-pandemic, I interviewed for a job, which looking back, I'm like, I should have fucking taken that, taken that. Uh, it was for a very prestige scripted show, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And I had like Edinburgh on the books and I was like, well, I don't want to miss Edinburgh. And now I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I could have broken into like prestige scripted. I was such an idiot. Anyway, um, whatever. That led to me getting a book deal and blah, blah, blah. You know, you should have got a what Um but they were like, yeah, we hate traffic. So our room is 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day. And I was like, huh, or even two. They were just like, we just don't, we do not want to deal with traffic. <laughs> and wow. So, And, you know, I think they already had it right in L.A. I don't know why. Or like going on a general meeting, which if you're listening and you don't oh, know what a general meeting is. It's I just when left you, my body and slammed back into it. A, Sorry. Yep. Mm -hmm. A general, general meeting. meeting is when you meet with a producer, a network, uh, executive, a a showrunner, anyone. You, you meet with someone and it's called a general meeting because you're not there for a specific job interview or a specific pitch. You're just getting to know each other to potentially work down the line. Well, in my experience, a general meeting is when you drive to an hour somewhere, you you um, you spend half your day to go meet with someone, and then you never talk to them never ever again. <laughs> and if you were to follow up too, it would be weird. Yeah, what are you doing? Like there's never yeah it's it's always just like yeah i have a half hour i know your manager yeah i'll meet with this person i love you we've we've always loved you yeah send me some of those ideas send, 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 send me an idea send me an idea <sighs> up to and including uh, actually when we met joe all of my opportunities that involved going to a shiny office paying to drive there paying to park uh, I went in with holes in my shoes, literal holes in the bottom of my shoes, shoes I have <laughs> since had cobbled. Life's better these days, <laughs> but like, or like absolute target head to toe, like feeling so like I feel dirty, even if I just bought everything at washing in, like as soon as I touch any doorknob handled recently by a janitor, I feel like I'm not supposed to be there. Like every experience like that where I had some kind of meeting in some kind of place I just instantly felt so poor like my teeth hurt all of a sudden or like <laughs> you're like yeah, I need like dental work some and medical I procedure I can't afford like can't afford happened or like the fact that I got my haircut someplace where I pay less than $30 was a pair just all of it and general meetings are the most insulting on that level because like the inequity is so obvious like the obvious, the office is set up, not in this case, when I got to meet Joe, it was an interview and that's a huge highlight. That is always a, an enormous compliment. Also the at midnight offices were not that nice. No, but it is a studio. Time. So it did feel cool, True. but it's how desperate you are for the money. You smell, I smell oh, like yeah. you need the money and you cannot you're trying smell to not like you come need off. the money. Right. In yeah. a general meeting when it's like, you're not buying anything. Just <laughs> don't, you don't pay me to be here. Do you validate? Validate <laughs> me is just the worst. <laughs> Real what do you do? What you, what's what's your what do you do? What do you what do you want to do? What do you like to do? Uh, Who are you? What are you I want to not deliver food to your house later tonight. Which is what are a you real experience on? I've had. Yeah, I've had to deliver right food to casting directors that have cast like I've had to deliver food back to a studio where I've auditioned. Oh, wow. Through brutality of that, yeah. I've had like Comedy Central execs take me, uh, hop into my lift while I'm driving. 
That's real. Oof. I had to drive them from one event to another, which is just like, oh no, we have met. You do recognize me. I've been <laughs> in your office. You're right. It's like the whole the 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 and I and I feel like my whole life, every room I walk into, I'm like aware of status. I'm like, what's oh, status? Yeah. Like, status? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure everybody does this. But I still get like, it's so hard. And I work with celebrities. I've worked with mm-hmm. a lot of celebrities. I don't know what this sounds like. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm always Such like- Such a name dropper. No, too. that person is more famous than me. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard. Yeah. It is a very weird status. There's a power, there's a power yeah. differential at play yeah. that, that it feels- um usually the person with more power doesn't understand the slightest thing they say or do the effect it oh. has on the other person. And I've been the on the other life. side of it where I found out later, I said something about thinking that may like one of my most embarrassing stories is that, and this was a time in my life where I was uh, going through a lot. I was grieving my mother. I was going through a divorce and uh, I was uh, got the biggest job of my life at the time, which was for Fallon running the digital stuff. And I was interviewing who were going to be my team. And it was like, I think the first time I'd ever gotten to be in charge and hire people. So I was very inexperienced with the whole thing. And I interviewed someone and I interviewed a few people, ended up hiring, you know, who I thought was best and who I wanted to work with. And then cut to years later i have my own talk show uh and we're hiring people and we end up hiring this producer and she goes we've actually met before (laughs) whenever someone starts that sentence you're like okay where is this going why don't i remember it and fuck and she was like you interviewed me for the fallon job and i was like oh yeah and she was like you know i really thought that i was gonna get it and i was so excited and i was like oh yeah and she goes because you know you were telling me about your divorce and i was like oh my god (laughs) so fucking embarrassed she goes and i thought there's no way somebody would be sharing all this with me if they weren't really liking me and wanting to be my friend and i was like oh my god i'm so sorry she goes no it's (laughs) fine it worked out fine and and we we're still friends and i love she's one of the best people on earth and anyway but it was so i was like i am so embarrassed that i was like that but that's like you don't realize as the person in power how your behavior makes the person who desperately wants your and i know i'm usually the one on the other side begging trying not to have the desperation come across yeah and it's yeah you have to pretend that you don't that you don't need the mm -hmm. job but you also would do the best job at it and you love it you love everything about it yeah i really that much i but that reminds me of when when i was at the onion in a similar like I, things were not as as oh yeah i forgot your peak onion yeah joe oh, randazzo is peak onion writer hugely like, influential onion yeah. time peak it was peak a good onion, onion. Time. and i was the editor yeah. there and there was a lot you know i would always take a lot of time with the interns and and people like that it was just very important to me to give them a, a good amount of time if i could but i was like similarly to you it was kind of a dark time and i was mm-hmm. like it was right when i was realizing I had a bad drinking problem that needed to stop and all of this stuff. But so like years later, I will meet people who were like, 
Yeah, you gave me some really weird advice, <laughs> which was like, like one. First of all, some people are like, "Oh my god, you told me when you told me that, I never forgot it." And I'm like, "What? Yeah. What did I tell you?" And they're like, "You don't remember the thing that you told me?" And yeah, no, I, I don't. But somebody that I met, like, met up with, who's gone on to have his own TV sh- and shows, was like, "Yeah, you told me, and this has really stuck with me." You said. Uh, work hard and expect nothing. <laughs> That's so harsh. Did a I billionaire mindset. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but I, he's like, I've, I've kept that. Like he interpreted it in a way that was like positive you know right right i mean that's that's the thing is like it goes both ways it's positive too the power that you can have and the influence you can have and the inspiration and all that stuff but you 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 can just with a with and I, I i at fallon i had this experience a lot because i was so desperate to be on the level of writer um mm. that and it was everyone knew i had no ability of hiding it that was one of my most uh it, oversharing exposed parts of my life and that show was so exciting to be a part of everybody was like sharing and and we're family and you know that always works well in the end as we know um but uh everyone was hanging out becoming friends and you know there was no the power differential at the beginning of that show i think it it, over time it changed obviously status was figured out structures were in place but in the beginning it was a free-for-all so everybody was friends you could be friends with the host you could be friends with the intern you know it was a party it was so fun and um but what it it didn't help that i was also someone who at the time had no boundaries with anyone and so there was a lot of boundary issues that i was um bringing to the table and so when when a writer or somebody would make a comment flippantly about like like, I remember one of the writers had, like, all his paychecks in his hand, like, fanned out, like a... Uh-oh, Caitlin left. Well... Sorry. Oh, you're there. Okay. I'm back. Sorry. Still recording. I'm just making sure the Zoom was still going. If you need to take a break, no, we're that's good. fine. Um, but he had all these... All his paychecks, like, fanned out in his hands like a deck of cards. And it was probably, like, eight paychecks. And he was like, oh, I keep forgetting to deposit these paychecks. And the... I was... Like, it was like a sword through my gut. I was like, you can afford to go that long without depositing a paycheck? Like, I was living paycheck to paycheck, and I was, like, so upset. And then one of the other writers saw my face, and they were like, hey, uh, read the room. <laughs> I was like, you know, and there was that where it was like, oh, right, there is there is a uh, a system here of pay that is so different. Or, like a writer the head writer making a comment about like a packet he had read that was sort of flippant and mean and then realizing well my packet was i'm trying to be promoted and i'm submitting too and and so i think when you're in a position of power you have to like it that those are the little things by the way that can create a toxic work environment if you are in the power position and you are just unaware of what the what the person at the bottom is feeling or thinking and not that you have to like you're like spending so much time but you it helps to be uh to look at everyone as a creative uh person that wants to be there that is doing their best to make you look good and vice versa and i think anyway that was a long anecdote but yeah well, that's, such a, that's such a tough position to be in too to have a job at the place where you're not doing the thing that you want to do like yeah 
it's kind of, in my experience, kind of rare that anybody actually gets to make that leap. Oh, no, you, you, that's what I've learned because they see you. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. I like won two Emmys there. Like it, it was amazing. But I realized I hit a wall where I was like, oh, they see me. I'm good at my job and they don't. And this, I think, applies to any workplace that they see you in that job and can't see you as the other thing. And they don't want to lose you from the good yeah. job you're doing in the position you're in. Exactly. So you have to leave. A whole other yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's a normal that wasn't anything specific about Fallon. That was, I think, just how it is at, at a lot of places to move up is very difficult from within, unless it's the type of there are shows that I've worked on where everyone, I mean, including mine, which I'm very proud of, which is like we promote from within, you know, yeah. not that Fallon never did that. They're I mean, the, the show I was only there in the first two and a half years. And I want to say they don't do that. They definitely promote from within. But in the, those beginning times, it was very like everyone was hanging because no one was leaving yet there wasn't a lot of turnover so when they hired someone new they, they would bring in people from the outside for writers but <laughs> he doing like games and stuff right at the beginning he wasn't really right was he did um the first game that fallon that we did uh was be beer pong with betty white and that was what broke open the like format and that idea was so popular and it went viral and obviously she was Betty White and like Betty White playing beer pong at the time was like, who fucking thought of that? So I think, I think actually, now that I'm thinking about Jimmy Fallon, he probably has a couple of hobbies. If I was rich, I would have, I would have hobbies. Like, yeah. I, like I love to go on eBay and Etsy and look at, uh, Polish movie posters in particular, but then it's branched <laughs> out into but like, yeah. Like I, they, there's this period from like 1968 to 1985 where there were all these like almost abstract Polish artists making these movie posters and they're so weird. I think I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. They like appear to have nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. And then there's also in Ghana, you know, they have these incredible movie posters where they've never seen the movie, like, <laughs> like reading the description and making them. That's a whole, but that's a whole different style. I would just like buy those and then that would be my hobby, right? Yeah. It's not a hobby to look at them on online, right? No, not really. But, but if, I had, if I were rich, I would be like, what does it matter? I'm going to buy 10 $500 posters. Who cares? Am I splitting a hair between collecting and a hobby? Oh, interesting. Is collecting a hobby? I think collecting is a hobby. Okay. And I say that because my husband is a collector and the amount of time he spends mm -hmm. on it, it's got to be a hobby. I see. <laughs> it's got to be. I see, I see to that. Yep. And you have to probably, you got to learn about where to look and how, what's quality and what's not and all yeah, that. Yeah. And, and the, the polishing of each action figure. Sure. There's a, there's sure. a, <laughs> and he, he actually also like builds custom shelving that makes it look exactly like he has done some really cool stuff. Like, um, that it's like he's a collector where he hides the stuff that's like in packages and whatever and he displays things that he really loves in a way that is aesthetically pleasing and fits with our decor and he keeps that very curated and so that works for us um and he has his his closet where he's got like rows of like the army of whatever what is he, what is he, he collects he-man 
Mm. Um, he collects Star Wars. He has some GI Joes, uh, wrestler wrestling figures, Superman, uh, Batman, Mandalorian, Star Wars. I think I mentioned that. Joe, he's gonna bring us something. He also That's collects the cutest run. Don't tell him I, I said so, but that was really <laughs> cute. It was got an adorable run. He almost pranced. A little trot. It was. Oh, he's got oh, no, oh, nothing. These slippers. Oh, I already know what that is. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's imagine a whole row of those. I used to love you... He-Man as a little girl. Didn't really know I was gay till I was like 32. <laughs> that's funny because my gay brother loved She-Ra. Well, there you go. We yeah. should have a little, we should be pen pals. Why yeah. do you love She-Ra? And this is the gayest thing that I think anybody's ever done. Mm. He taped over our home movies. One day we we popped in the home movies on VHS to watch them. He had taped them over with reruns of Golden Girls. <laughs> your, your, your archival footage of your family. Yeah. <laughs> destroyed by he, Golden like, Girls. had to have <laughs> reruns of Golden Girls, which are on constantly. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think collecting is a hobby, and I think you could totally get into it if you got enough money. But, you know, Scott doesn't have a ton. And you know what? If you, if you know what you're doing, and this is what Scott does, he has a resell market that he he pays for his own hobby with by selling the figures. So he does stuff like that, or he right. deals in it as well. Yeah, there, the t-shirt, <laughs> like Caitlyn's shirt. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he has a way, but he has some really cool stuff, um, some wrap memorabilia that is very valuable. Where I'm like, are we getting this stuff insured? Like he has some cool stuff that like he's just acquired through the kind of the coolest stuff is when you acquire things through just knowing the person and they give it to you or whatever and then um you know that is like a more than just you finding it on ebay i think like that is a hobby part of it where it's like right you know you're friends with people and they end up you're a collector and that you have that eye of like oh they gave me this thing and i know how special this is yeah yeah and um, when you entered did you get divorced in california it was New York. It was awful because they oh. didn't have no fault divorce and you had oh, to right. make up a reason. Yeah. So the, the like four reasons, that, it was literally like the day that my divorce was approved, they, they p- changed the law to allow for no fault divorce in New York. <laughs> so for two years prior to that, I was dealing with where you had to make up one of four reasons, which was like abandonment, adultery, abuse. I mean, they were awful and you had to like sign a piece of paper and like for, for adultery and things like that, you had to go in and testify and like the person that you cheated with, like it was crazy. So the workaround was people would do this thing called constructive abandonment, which is one partner refuses to have sex with the other for a year minimum. And then isn't that fucked up? It's also just so patriarchal of like, well, if you're not satisfying your husband, he can leave you. I mean, it's really not set up for the woman anyway. And it just was really fucked up. And um, you had like so parties would lie, essentially lie if that was the case, and just you know, and then get it approved. And everyone knew that's what you know they were doing. So finally they changed the law, but it was a fucking nightmare because then one person has to sue the other one for the divorce like in right. that setup you have to go right. you did this to me and that becomes 
in a divorce that's already if it's already stressful and one person doesn't want it or whatever it it, it makes it even harder because then there's this well, what does that mean if you're saying that i you know just oh my god and it's just Such... on record that it's just on record with the courts and the oh, right <laughs> right that's uh-huh. the other thing is like then you have to be on record even with ours which is irreconcilable differences or whatever you still have to have uh a person who's filing and a person who's yes and we just decided in mediation okay my wife could be the one who's filing but it's Mm -hmm. still like every time i see it i'm kind of like i know it's it just doesn't it's like you don't have to when you get married yeah you get the certificate but you're not you don't I'm have the to one like, who really wants to get married and she's just, you know, she's excited. Yeah, you don't have to like prove anything or whatever, but like to, to break up, it's like, now wait a minute. <laughs> what are you thinking? Many years ago when I was opposite. at... A two-year yeah. wrangling bureaucratic process to get married. <laughs> and then if you want to dissolve it, it's just you go to the city, you get a blood test and you go to the courthouse real quick and then you're released back into the wild. Yeah. Oh, that sounds nice. Right? Yeah. I think we yeah. might... I, I think There would I'm be a lot less dating. divorce, right? Yeah, I do think there'd be less divorce, ironically, if getting married was harder. That's funny. Uh, I, years ago, was at Just for Laughs in Montreal, and I rode in the shuttle van with Greg Giraldo mm-hmm. uh, when he was alive. Yeah. And he was talking about going through That's his the divorce. the time to do it. Well, he's in the shuttle van every year now as a ghost, but you, that year he was... But I remember, and I still have his phone, in my, I still have his number in my phone. Uh, I remember he was talking about going through his divorce and he's like talking about how there was no, no fault and everything. And, he, and then he was like, but it'll be different for you by the time you get to it. He's like, cause they're already changing it. So he was like, we're very happy, but yeah, now I'm going through it. But I, I brought it up because, you know, you were saying that Scott has all these valuable things. And part of the, you know, that he's collected over the years, part of the pain of the divorce is the FL-150, where you have to list all of your assets. And I was oh like, God. and, you know, and thinking about, you know, w- with all of the c- kind of financial burden that everybody's under right now, I was like, what do I, I don't have anything worth anything. Like, I yeah. don't have anything worth anything. I have was- collected like this, no no one cares about this skeleton. He's holding up an action figure. <laughs> skeleton that you can, when you hit his chest, it rotates and shows you that there's damage that's been done to his oh, chest. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> rare skeletor, but I don't have anything to show for it. Yeah, that that's a very depressing part of it. I mean, my divorce, it was a relief for me because we didn't have to fill out forms like that because it was just so simple and it was just like, there's nothing to split up. Although we did have to... Um, personally have those discussions which i found so awful but i mean my divorce was not something without spilling too much i mean it just it wasn't something that both parties wanted at that time and uh i the shame and guilt of like and the anger and the rage of splitting those things up was one of the most painful things I've ever been through. I mean, I like shudder when I think of some of the things that just, and it's stuff you, it's similar to like grieving when you go through like a, a dead person's stuff. You don't know what box you open, yeah. what is in there that's gonna, gonna trigger you and make you lose your shit. And in the moving out process, there were just little things like he had taken some of my stuff and like, he like 
like I moved out and uh, he, uh, you know, we finally agreed like, okay, it, we're going to do this. And I was coming to get all my stuff and we'd agreed who was getting what and all that. And like, he was scarce. He wasn't there, which was the way it should have been. And like, he had like shoved some of my stuff, which I wouldn't blame him, like violently into like a closet. And I could tell, you know, I was like, oh, this was done with anger. Like this was, you know, and like, so you open up a thing, you're like, oh, uh, somebody <laughs> had a bad night, you know, stuff. And maybe that wasn't it. Maybe it fell, but it was like, that's what it felt like. And it was just so, uh, you know, or like things that you thought they would want. And they're just like, I don't fucking care. Like you can have it. And you're like, ooh. You know, just so much unexpected pain. Even yeah, if it's, it's really, I mean, you know, it's emotion and memory has been imprinted on so many different things. Yeah. And it's like when you're going through that, you, yeah, you have to like catalog all of it. Yeah. Just clutching a corn cob holder and weeping in a kitchen. Yeah. It's <laughs> odd moments that hit you and those little That's not things. Odd for me, but yeah, I think. Well, so. <laughs> <laughs> really bringing some stuff up for caitlin <laughs> yeah I, that's tough stuff i i you know but though joe you i you know remember when you told me about it and we were working on a show together and you were kind of like it, i mean it was really crazy like it was pandemic and you guys were selling your house and there was all this stuff going on. And I was really like, is Joe, is Joe okay? You know? And you always handle things with such humor. And, but I can tell over time, you know, that you are really doing, I, to me from the outside, you seem to be handling it. Okay. And you're like, you look good. You're a great guy. Are you single? I have a girlfriend now. You do? You yeah. Oh, I love it. No See, I can tell you're you're glowing. Girlfriends are great. I highly say, recommend them. We did say I love you to each other just last just for the last week. Now are you okay? Well, you might change your mind on this being out there. So you just let me know. <laughs> the first time I said I love you to my sweet lady, we of course it happened very fast because we're women, so it happens very fast <laughs> right. as is the stereotype and the real life experience. But as soon as it came out of my mouth, I got scared. So I wound up saying, I love you, dummy. And it was like very <laughs> sweet and endearing. Like it was meant to be like cute little pet, but I immediately negged her. I just came out hot out the gate with yeah. I love you and then was like, Dump dummy, just to see if that makes sense. Um but no, we still say it and I'll still get rest. Just the, the, the exact right amount for saying dummy the first time mm -hmm. I told well, her. That's cute. Uh, that's I love her. Yeah, it's it is almost like cute. a Humphrey Bogartism or something. <laughs> like you can hear a 40s wow. plane prop like spinning in the background. Yeah. 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 Scott and I said, I love you for the first time on the Staten Island Ferry. That's, oh. yeah, that's very sweet. Yeah. And it was sort of like a, I, I remember it was like, should we move in together and the I love you conversation all at once? And, you know, I was like, well, I love you, right? It was like, like, it was like information we were figuring out in right. order to decide. And he and I was like, you love me, right? And he's like, well, I mean, yeah, but like, yeah, it was almost like an argument. That's my memory of it. And then it was so funny because once we got that business out of the way, because one of my, I really need someone to say it to me. Like, it can't be like a me too, you know, like, I love you, ditto, like that kind of I thing. I appreciate you. 
Yeah, I, I, if someone can't say it, that's really not good for me. And so he, it was so funny. Once we opened that door, so I was really afraid. I didn't know what kind of person he was going to be with that. And once we opened the door, he said it freely all the time, easily. And so I was like, whoo, we just had to have the conversation about like, is this where we're at? <laughs> and then it was fine. <laughs> yeah, it is tough in that first little period to be like not overdo it you know mm -hmm. not say it too much don't scare him off but yeah. enough to know that it's real yeah. did he um did he buy you a staten island ferry with pete davidson after that like as a yeah <laughs> yep yep we and we were turning it into a casino slash uh no they're there are they that's what they're doing they're they're Pete Davidson and Colin Jost bought a bought a, a a ferry, and they're going to turn yeah. it into a comedy club. I don't know. <laughs> that just makes me not, very tired. I can't think of <laughs> two people that I root against more than Colin Jost and Pete Davidson. That is the embodiment <laughs> of the always sunny joke. The implication, like a boat at sea with that crew, I'm good. I'm okay. <laughs> that has implications. I'm fine. That's. Ugh. I, you know what? Good for them. Yeah. Good for them. One of our greats, Spalding Gray. That's how he met his ass. Oh, fuck, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> 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 name it the Spalding Gray. Spalding Gray jumped off the <laughs> Staten Island Ferry to yeah. his own demise. Uh, sad days. Anyway, that's been the Schaefer Shakedown. <laughs> we should wrap it up. Um, well, what a wonderful conversation, Joe. Is there anything you'd like to add? No. I, <laughs> I think, think we've covered, covered it. I, I, I'm looking at my outline and we got everything. I ended with <laughs> Gray and yeah, no, I, I covered all of it. <laughs> well, thank uh, you for this general meeting. Uh, really yeah. liked what you both had to say. Yeah, um, stuff. No, yeah, definitely email. Um, and we'll, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah we should, uh, yeah. We, um, that we should uh yeah mm -hmm. with your hands going like this back and forth um i real quick i'll end on this we'll end on this um i had a general meeting with someone who i thought we had a great rapport and um i'm sure we still do i think it was a, a productive general meeting in terms of like we liked each other at the end of it that's the most you can handle that's the most <laughs> you can expect and as i i went out on a limb and I made a joke as it was ending and I went, bye, and I'll never see you again. Bye. And <sighs> he kind of laughed. <laughs> and then I think it was sort of like, did she just insult me? I don't think he got it. And I was like, fuck. Like, but I think it was fine. But I was like, God, it's for the right person. That's a great joke. Like, bye, I'll never see you again. <laughs> sure. I'm sure he appreciated the confidence behind it. Yeah, and also it's like with the expectation of, well, I will see you again, because obviously we're going to make a million dollars together. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, as soon as I hit close, I've forgotten who you are. But yeah, if you have a good idea that can make me money. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I always say the one good thing about a general meeting that a few times it has come back around, rarely, but it has, is that then later on when you're up for a job, and the person is one of the decision makers, they remember you and they go, oh yeah, I liked her, you know, whatever. And like, it, it's, whole point of it's an introduction, mm -hmm. it's networking. So not to dismiss oh, yes. them completely. 
they have uh, don't let my own personal anxieties and experience color the entire concept uh no, you, <laughs> no it, actually we should because that's literally what it is but um anyway joe thank you so much everyone please check out his podcast the dr sex reese show you're going to learn a lot about sex from a guy who's never had it that's right that's the character that's, that's the character it's a character <laughs> never had sex <laughs> Also, if uh, our dumb world has never graced your coffee table, put it on there now and uh, appreciate it because it's terrific. Oh, thank you for that. Just the best era of the onion. Just, yeah. Just well, we can, I can come back and you guys can praise the time I was at the onion. Great. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I'll, we'll see you next time.